And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. It is Tuesday, and we're still on Twitter. Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hutt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Happy to have you all with us. Uh, If you are with us live, we are broadcasting to YouTube, Facebook, and Odyssey. And it looks like Odyssey's working today, so uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, The live chat is open over on YouTube if you want to join the conversation live. If you're not live with us, you can still leave a comment, share your thoughts either in the comment section or you can always send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. This show is also available as a podcast on various different podcast platforms. You can just search sci-fi for me and you will find that. And speaking of podcasts, we're going to be, our podcast here, talking about a podcast. And, you know, yesterday we had the the meltdown of Twitter, the disaster and the coming apocalypse. And, you know, that's, yeah, it lets everybody just take a breath. But something that could cause some problems in the overall general grand scheme of things is a massive solar event, and that is the subject of a new story podcast called Solar uh, that is out now. And joining us to talk about it, uh, Bill Curtis and Chris Porter, who are two of the the people responsible for the show. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Hey, how you doing, Jason? So how, uh, where do we start? Let's, uh, let's start with the general story of it and then we'll, we'll backtrack through how it developed and, and where it's going. So who wants to take that? Well, Chris is the writer creator of solar. So we're going to let him take that ball. Okay. Thank you so much. I, at its core, solar is about astronauts trying to survive after their ship has been completely decimated by a solar flare. Solar flare hit the ship, overloaded the systems, and effectively blew the ship in half. I So now the astronauts are on two different sides of the ships, trying to reach each other to survive in that sense, but also they're trying to reach Earth. However, since they were in uh, the same uh, orbiting pattern as Earth, that means the solar flare hit Earth. So they aren't even sure if there is an Earth that they can reach, and they're trying to figure out how to make contact before it's too late and they drift to the far side of the sun. If you move the camera back a little bit more, <clears throat> as the uh, crew who survived are trying to figure out a way to get back home and, and help each other, you're also unraveling the mystery of what was going on on board the ship before the flare hits, because things were not going great. You have uh, two different companies that participated in a joint venture on this expedition. You have Sumerian Technologies, which is a private organization think SpaceX. And then you have NASC, which is the North American Space Coalition, which is a public sector organization, think NASA. So basically, if SpaceX and NASA were to launch a joint mission, but they were keeping secrets from each other the whole time, trying to one up each other and uh, get the hands on new information faster than the other. So that's all going on on board the ship over time as well. Also on Earth, uh, because we do want to explore what's happening on Earth post-solar flare, we actually begin with a press conference where NASC announces that they found the Aethon, but they're not sure who is alive. And that conference quickly goes off the rails as the people investigating start realizing that Sumerian Technologies has been completely off the grid. They haven't been answering their phone or trying to help NASC in any way, shape, or form. They've just gone radio silent, and that's causing all sorts of other problems along with the actual flare, which has knocked out the Western Hemisphere as digitally in uh, communications. So you end up with this really complicated world of everyone trying to figure out what happened and how they should proceed. Now, I, And the, the, the thing that we keep coming back to is that it is a journey to the center of our solar, to the heart of our solar system right. uh, that actually explores the vastness of the human spirit. 
So that's kind of what we kind of kept as the core vision for this. So Jason, you, do you want me to play and, that trailer? Uh, yeah, we can do that. We'll go ahead and and uh, and play that. Let me set up. Go ahead, and here is the trailer for Solar. Our hearts here at NASC go to those impacted by the solar flare two weeks ago. We extend our thoughts and prayers to those who died and those who lost loved ones. <clears throat> NASC located the Aethon two days ago. Given our current trajectories, the Aethon and Earth will move to opposite sides of the sun in roughly seven days. And at that point, we will lose any opportunity to contact the Aethon for almost a year. What are the odds of survival for the Aethon crew? We won't speculate on those circumstances. I'm sure you can understand. I'm broken. There's something wrong in your code that I don't have time to fix because I'm going to run out of oxygen in about five days. Even if they did survive, is it realistic to believe they could be rescued? What was that? I do not detect any abnormalities. The lights are getting brighter. Is the electricity overloading? Everything is nominal. These men and women have risked their lives for their knowledge and science and our understanding of the universe. They warned us about the flare. They are heroes. You think I'm losing my mind? You're the one not getting any sleep. I'm not the one hallucinating. I'm trying to help you. We will bring them home. Accept, accept. Fred, it's coming in through the airlock. Get away from the airlock. Hurry! Kurt Co. Media presents Solar, a fully immersive sonic adventure with revolutionary sound from Dolby Atmos, starring Academy Award winner Helen Hunt. If we deviate from the plan even by an hour, we lose everything. Tony Award winner Alan Cumming. I'm simply not willing to risk the lives of any crew members for the sake of an experiment. Stephanie Beatrice. But I'm going to find a way to save him. I want to ask him to last as long as he can. And Jonathan Bangs. Life doesn't have to be contained by the bounds of gravity, does it? Solar. Shadows are darker this close to the sun. Mankind will rise above as it always has. Now, that's a so, pretty impressive trailer there. So, Jason, you can hear that not everything goes well on this mission. <laughs> right. Well, I'm I'm three episodes in. Episode six got dropped today. And uh, so far, I'm, I'm pretty intrigued at how this is all together. Now, a couple of things that I, I noticed in the trailer. It mentions fully immersive. And the one thing that I hear... Uh, in the in the introductions to each episode, there is the recommendation to listen to this with headphones because there's the 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 immersive surround sound element to this. When you guys were putting this together and deciding the landscape of the sound design, how important is it to listen with headphones as opposed to just on speakers on your desktop? I mean, are we losing a lot of stuff if you don't if you don't do that? It it it's it's pretty important. When when we first designed this series, uh, we were looking to disrupt the whole podcast market a little bit and come up with a uh, a truly cinematic experience, if you don't mind me saying that 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 uh, would actually put the listener in a position of being in the middle of the story. So one of the things that that Chris did incredibly well, along with the director and producer, Jenny Curtis, is they 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 actually blocked out the stories where every sound comes from a unique location. Um, You can actually feel yourself in the room. So it's kind of recreating the golden age of radio, except the quality of the experiences is downright meta. And you uh, you're in the middle of the story. And frankly, when you hear all of this, this audio drama with all of the sound effects, a Dolby Atmos mix that is highly, and by the way, it's not exaggerated. It actually helps the story instead of gets in the way of the story. You, you've, you find yourself, your imagination is a better movie than anyone could ever make. <laughs> and so the, the whole goal is to kind of stretch the industry, be a little disruptive and create a podcast experience that uh, will um, will be uh, well. It already is very successful, but will be somewhat redefining the marketplace for audio dramas. My uh, co-director and I would spend a lot of time with our sound designer, C.J. Drew Miller, 
and we would actually map out the rooms and we would say there's a speaker up here and there's a door over there and it's about 15 feet for this thing over here and the walls are made of plastic versus the walls are made of metal in some locations uh there's a broken fan so like we we really actually designed each space and so when you put the headphones on it's literally relating that room, that level of detail and room information to you. So yes, you can, I would much rather you listen to this podcast than not listen at all. So like, yes, you can listen to it over just regular speakers while you're driving. You, you don't want to for, forbid them from listening I don't to it forbid on their phone. No. But I will say that there is a level of detail uh, in just the sound that is really worthwhile. And we really spent a lot of time on. So, so when you're designing all of this, when you're planning this out, how how much discussion is there on just how much you can reveal in the background stuff? Because I'm hearing the 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 computer interface alley, you know, making announcements and, and, and there's interactions that are going on and go on behind the dialogue in in the foreground. And so I'm wondering, okay, how much how much of that is going to play into this? Because I'm hearing some stuff getting repeated. I'm hearing some stuff getting mentioned, and then that, and it kind of circles back to it in different pieces of the of the episodes. So how much do you have to pay attention to the entire everything to really get what's going on here? Well, uh, Jason, this was a two and a half year project. Uh, most podcasts take about six months to make. Of course, right. there was a pandemic going on, so that complicated matters a little bit. But Chris and Jenny and CJ, our, our sound designer, worked uh, and experimented and tested. And we knew that most people were going to listen on a pair of binaural headphones. They weren't going to have a 7.1 surround like they would at a home movie theater. Um, so it, it it was very important that we make sure that the, the soundscape, the world that was created by CJ, which took him about six months just to create the sonic world, um, uh, would actually enhance the story rather than interrupt it or change it. It would actually create an experience where we actually don't know what affects us emotionally when we are experiencing entertainment. Um, a slight sound, a footstep, a... Um, a, a door closing, a, a uh, uh, an air conditioner in the background that's just creating this slightly annoying sound. As long as it doesn't interrupt the dialogue, which on, in this case is brilliantly written by Chris and amazing the performance from Helen Hunt and Stephanie Beatriz and Alan Cumming and 18 other actors. And of course, Jenny is Ali. Um, so it was a lot of experimentation to make sure that the soundscape enhanced the story rather than interrupted it a question we kept coming back to the whole way through uh, the writing and production of it i uh, in basically if you if you're listening to a podcast you don't have a visual element so you you've lost one whole plane of information conveyance for your story right. uh, so anytime we were adding a sound we had to say like what is the purpose of this sound what are we achieving by adding this sound and uh to bill's point like with uh with what's <clears throat> with those broken readings that you're mentioning from Ali, uh, for anyone who hasn't listened to the show, Ali is the Athon language interface, which is the uh, it's basically the ship talking to the crew. Uh, and she's giving out these readings uh, in post solar events. And that was meant to convey one, that the ship is very damaged uh, Two, you're starting to for some of the astronauts. <laughs> exactly. Uh, two, you're starting to hear what this world sounds like and you're learning which capsules do they have access to and what do they have there? And three, it's just part of the world building where it's like, it's really hot on Jamal's side of the spacecraft. And that's a whole issue that he's dealing with on his own. Uh, so definitely every single sound was scrutinized and placed firmly. And we wanted to make sure that first and foremost, you can hear that, story that's happening particularly between Ren and Jamal and Ali uh, but if you go back and listen and start finding these other details it just enhances the entire world and the entire experience so Chris you mentioned the the world building you talk about designing the rooms uh, in ahead of time to figure out where all of the different sounds are coming from how much 
how much of that with the with the world building did you guys build out before recording the story so the background on nask the background on simtech all of the character bios how how detailed is your show bible going into production pretty detailed i the the we when we when we started three, production three ring binders or or oh yeah, or yeah. file drawers <laughs> three, ring bi- and... <laughs> three ring binders and countless uh google drive documents just I mean, <laughs> jason make all my before, notes before anything was recorded uh chris and jenny were hosting a number of table reads this is pre-pandemic mm-hmm. when this first started that tested out the story. This was probably the last time the actors got to see each other while they were performing in person. Um, and a lot of the story was tested out in the form of these table reads that mm-hmm. that actually did um, offer Chris and Jenny the ability to make slight adjustments in the story and the pacing and the the, the telling of the tale. And and uh, uh, and then, of course, um, uh, in a pandemic, you have to change how you record everybody, right? This is a SAG show. Um, so so SAG had lots of rules on uh, an actor would come into what basically was an aquarium-like like studio where nobody else was allowed to be anywhere near them and they couldn't have any uh, any people contact whatsoever. Um, and and uh, Jenny was directing them from outside the glass and that was all that could be in the studio other than an engineer on the other side of the of the studio and and each actor was actually recorded individually and Jenny would get them to record every line six or seven times six or seven different ways and then the show was assembled making it sound like you would swear everybody is in the room and everybody is feeding off of each other and and the just the emotional uh, interaction between people uh, in some pretty stressful situations is completely believable. And I think you'll really enjoy it the way it, the way it turned out, but it ended up taking two and a half years instead of, well, six months. Now, did everybody record in the same studio at different times or are they in different locations everywhere else? Because different studios have different equipment and that factors into it as well, because different microphones have different dynamics and, and, you know, recording systems and that sort of thing. So we, we were consistent yeah. with the equipment, not always the studio. Um, we, we used a, a, a place called Shane Salt Studios out in North Hollywood in California. Um, and they did an incredible job of setting up for us and, and hosted uh, almost all the actors. Quick little story. Uh, Alan Cumming was, uh, we had a plan to have him, uh, record in New York City at a studio, and and he had what he felt was a um, uh, a studio that he worked with in in his home, and it it was at a time where the pandemic had really kind of gone off the rails, and nobody really felt comfortable walking outside at all. So he asked if he could do it from his home. So we sent him all the equipment. So he had the same equipment, same microphones, um, and he was recording both locally and. Our studio uh, was monitoring it, and uh, I think it was his second recording session. Uh, and, and by the way, he had there were cameras on him. He had his iPad with a script. Uh, he had his microphone, local recording technology, DATs, and what have you. And uh, in in the middle of one of his recordings, um, uh, someone out in the Shane Sox Studios out in in Hollywood in uh, North Hollywood noticed that there was a little bit of a of a of a sound in the background Um, and it turned out that it was raining Um, and you could hear it in this uh in this studio that alan had and so we of course offered you know when would you like to reschedule anytime you want is fine and he he's a he's a a theater actor so he's very much a the show must go on kind of guy um so he said just hold on for a minute i'll fix this and he goes downstairs and he grabs two king size down comforters and he puts them over his head and over the microphone and over the camera and he's holding them up um uh and i'm talking about for hours now it was at a point in his in his dialogue where there was a certain amount of stress that was supposed to be in his voice because not everything was going well um but he held this thing up there for hours and he said, the show must go on. I'm not going to hold you guys up. 
and it sounded great and it, it came off wonderfully well. And he's he's just a that's just a consummate professional. There is Didn't want to pull this up. It was amazing. Yeah, there's something to be said for blanket forts, right? Absolutely. You know? yeah. Even even in our even in our, our grown up years. So um, this this being a SAG after a project, how did that impact things? Because you talk about you know the the recording process. Did you go in with a plan to make this a SAG after a project, or would, did that just happen to to work out that way as you're going on with casting? Well, in, in the casting process, um, as we were um, finding our, the the first. Uh, uh, actor that we that we hired was Stephanie Beatrice um, and we were working with a with a uh, casting agent out in Hollywood um, and very quickly we found that if we were going to work with someone like Stephanie Beatrice or Alan Cumming or Helen Hunt um, it was going to have to be a SAG show and we were going to have to have all of the actors um, uh deal with the fact that this was a SAG show. So it, it, it definitely very early on in the casting process, uh, uh, it became important to do that. Um, and a quick little story, because uh, the lead male character is Jamal. Um, and uh, Jamal is probably uh, acted by one of the most talented actors any of us have ever seen. But I've got to tell you that um, it was about a six-month process for Chris Porter and Jenny Curtis to convince this guy, Bill Curtis, that it was okay to hire um, uh, uh, John Jonathan Banks to to play that role because we were busy trying to hire the Helen Hunts and Stephanie Beatriz and Alan Cummings of the world, and um, at John Jonathan turned out to be so over the top talented for this role. In fact. Uh, Chris and Jenny pretty much created this whole show around the thought that uh, uh, that Jonathan would would work out. And so I, I, I just um, in the convincing of this difficult guy who who's the CEO of the company, I thought that maybe Chris would like to tell you about the the uh, Zoom call that they had with Jonathan to tell him what the outcome was of uh, of talking to me and 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 trying to get it so that we would hire him instead of some uh, name actor. Sure, sure. Yeah, <clears throat> I we we knew John for uh, several years, and so when we first started doing those table reads, as Bill mentioned, we had John come in to read for Jamal, uh, and so he had been with with the development of this process. Uh, for quite some time. He was one of the first people we brought in to read anything that had been written of the script at all. And I, uh, there came a time when we were casting it where we did have to have a sit down with him. And of course it was pandemic time. So it was virtually sit down with him and say like, you aren't officially cast yet. We're sorry, we'll let you know. When, when things changed and when we got the green light to say, yes, you can cast Jonathan Bangs. I, Jenny, she texted John and said, Hey, can we hop on a call with you real quick? And his response, because he's such a humble, heartful, heartfelt guy, he his response was, "Did I lose the part?" And we had to be like, "No, no, no, just get on the phone, just get on the phone." And so we pulled over into a gas station because he was driving somewhere between San Francisco and L.A. at the time, and we all got on a Zoom call real quick, and we told him, and we all kind of started crying because we were like, "Hey, we finally got this for you, and you are the one that we need to complete this puzzle." Uh, and so we all have this fond memory of this weird Zoom call <laughs> in a gas station. And, and it, when you when you listen to this story, um, Solar, you'll find that um, nobody could do it like Jonathan. He he really he really pulled it off, and it's it's a beautiful story. Thanks, in part, to having him in place. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it took Chris and Jenny so long to convince me that it was okay. <laughs> Now, with it being a, a SAG project and you've got all of this sound design, how much did that impact the budget for this thing? Because, you know, Bill, like you said, most podcasts, you know, you get some people in a room, you got a microphone. I mean, our setup here, there's not a whole lot in terms of post-production with all of our stuff. But ours is just, you know, conversations and dialogue. We're not having to do the entire soundscape. 
But as you go in and you start adding layers and adding layers, and now you've got the contracts and the SAG responsibilities and pandemic stuff hit, did this did this come in about where you anticipated it would from a <laughs> from a budgetary standpoint? Because that's 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 got to be those those floating numbers that you kind of look at and they start swimming after a while, right? What, what, what budget, I will say, we don't not, need no stinking budget. That's right. <laughs> what I what I will just chime in and say is that we invested in the best of the best, and even though it's not armies of people, we we found people who could deliver us what we needed to get delivered. Uh, so yes, the the yeah. the budget got busted up pretty good as a result. Of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's not. We don't have a team of like. Post-production was basically myself, Jenny, and CJ, along with his assistant, Allison Ng. You talk about the process of getting Jonathan on board. Helen Hunt is also on board as a producer. Was that a perk to get her on the cast? How much producing is she doing? How much input, not, not only Helen Hunt, but how much input into the story did the cast have once they were on board? You start doing the table read. But it's, so, a good, it's a good point. Um, mm -hmm. uh, well, a couple of things. H Helen did not have a lot of producing input, but in the case of, of, uh, of Stephanie, for example, um, and she had many sessions of recording. And you know, so she read, I don't, what is it, Chris, about a 400 page script by the time you're done? Oh, yeah. Um, with all the episodes. And, and so she would read through the script and she came into the studio with suggestions um, and she was willing to re-record and re-record and and make it exactly right and i i think you, you may have noticed that stephanie is incredibly hot right now uh you know she was just the lead in disney's Encanto, and she's she's a she's a hard-working actress actress but uh she leaned into this project just full force as and alan by the way uh did the same thing and so um, the big actors definitely helped with their professionalism, the things that they thought might add to it from emotion. And, you know, uh, but I've got to say that um, uh, Chris, in his creation of the story and the writing of the story, he is absolutely brilliant. And uh, he's a genius on so many levels. He's also the composer. Uh, the music in the show is just off the charts. And so, uh, Frankly, rather than hiring Chris freelance and, and just dabbling in this story, uh, he's full time here at Kurt Co. And we're honored to have him here. Uh, and you, and he 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 he, pro he produced a, a story that uh, the actors would comment on, sometimes tear up because he's really quite a poet. Um, he's also a, a bit of a science freak, and we, he brought some interesting things to bear, which your your listeners will appreciate that this is a show that that actually dabbles in science fact while it's creating science fiction. Um, and uh, there's just enough science fact in here to create some, you know, plausible deniability and and <laughs> some doubt. Is this is this all real or is is the is it fake? So. That while it's a, a, a kind of an out of this universe or a center of this universe kind of a story, um, uh, Chris really pulls off the the, uh, uh, the the kind of emotion and and combined with facts that will keep your audience on their toes and feeling like they're really in the middle of something special. And that actually gives me a point where we can we can take a real quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into that because I've got a couple of questions on that side of things. So uh, so we will take a very quick break so we can tell Google where to in interrupt us and back with Bill Curtis and Chris Porter talking about solar. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Our transmitters are made from hand wavium. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. It's an interesting question. I think it's a big question. It's a good question. When you need to know, count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. It's an interesting question <laughs> you're asking. You know, you ask very good questions. <laughs> but you, you ask such a perceptive, an excellent question. Now you've put your finger on, <laughs> uh, you've put your finger on exactly the heart of the book here. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. Good Morning Multiverse, Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. 
Back live from the bunker, Jason Hutt here along with my guests, Bill Curtis and Chris Porter. They are two of the production team for Solar, the podcast, which uh, episode six just dropped today. It's available on a number of different podcast platforms. And the story wraps around a, a giant solar flare causing a disaster. And I hear in the script... Uh, not just solar flare, but I'm also hearing CME. And I know that means coronal mass ejection. This is the stuff that gets spit out of the, of the sun, uh, when things go, uh, horribly, horribly awry. So it, it's, it's almost, it's almost one of those things. Cause I get every now and again, uh, YouTube video shows up about people talking about not necessarily an apocalyptic event, but, you know, CME and solar flares and solar winds changing and the magnetic poles of Earth about to flip. And, you know, all of these things that are about to happen because the sun is doing what it's doing. So, Chris, in your research, as you're coming up with what goes wrong... How much actual science did you have to learn, or is this stuff that you were already kind of interested in and doing research on? You said, oh, hey, I think this would make a good story. Definitely was already doing the research, but also I learned so much more just doing research. I, I, there's, I mean, no matter, anytime I thought I was doing something that was too weird, I would find an article would come out the next day that was like, hey, we just found out, you know, there's, chocolate chips and quantum physics and i was like holy cow like it would be something even more insane than anything i could possibly dream up with the science and like you said uh, a solar flare of a huge magnitude is entirely feasible and we have already been hit by ones that are pretty large and would actually cause widespread uh, chaos on uh today but they hit the earth when there weren't the same number of electronics or digital things going on in the world so it kind of just didn't affect anyone they were like oh look the aurora borealis is showing up way far south this year for some reason yeah i in in what would happen is it would take down anything electronic or digital and uh, if you think there's supply chain issues now imagine if you don't have any way of tracking any of the shipments anymore imagine if you can't access the money in your bank account because everything's so digital now you know i can't you wouldn't be able to go fill up your car with gas using a credit card you have to use money I haven't had money in probably like physical money in about a year. It's been all digital for me. And yet I'm well aware that if the sun lashes out at a particular moment, I would kind of be screwed because I don't have any physical cash on me and I have no way of proving what I would be able to buy or sell. Well, not only that, but if even if you're using cash as a transaction, you've got your your cash registers and your machine your your transaction machines That's are right. all electronic and and hooked up to computers too i mean that's right it you, would literally just become you, you know a trading sort of environment yeah because you're talking basically a lot of the chaos would come kind of emp type of thing right you exactly know, nu yeah, yeah. nuclear bomb goes off in the in the atmosphere all the electronics are gone watches cars radios everything that's right yeah and and this is not that far-fetched i think uh, just about a month ago uh, we actually had some solar flares that affected the the electrical grid and some communication lightly, mm -hmm. but it would not take much for the sun to decide to uh, spit out quite a disaster for us here on Earth. Especially satellite systems that are more exposed because they don't have the atmosphere right. at the same level that we do. How how hardened do we need to be against something like this? I mean, is this something that you can... I, you just have to stock a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely, like, I'm not prepared. No. <laughs> so clearly, after doing all of this research, I'm not immediately concerned. But I mean, it is a thing that could happen. And the sun is, and I say this many times in the show, but like the sun is its own force. And we can't control it. We can only say, hey, it's doing this thing now. We can try to predict it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I, at some level, nature is nature. And it's just going to do what it's going to do. And we have to adapt around it. So, uh, so I like it would probably be smart for me to carry at least, you know, a hundred bucks in actual cash on me. Just right. in case, but. Oh, yeah, that would get you a long way. It would get me a long way. In a post yeah. World. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the and the what was it? What's it called? A get home bag in your in your car and, yeah, and yeah, making yeah. sure that you have all of your 
your food stocked and and supplies and whatnot so fortunately on that front i live in california so i already have one of those emergency <laughs> kits for earthquakes so i figure it could you do the same thing for sure sure solar flare. it's it's one of those things where you sit there and you go okay well if you project forward from an event of some sort you guys are focused on the the astronauts and the people at NASC and, and, and that sort of thing, you're focused on those characters. And without giving too much away, do we get any kind of a glimpse at what happens on Earth in the midst of all of this stuff? And I know there's there's one of those uh, one of those audio tracks, you know, the the, the extras recovered audio yeah, asset. Yeah, the recovered right. audio asset that's that's at the at the elementary school that has an experiment on the on the Atheon. But So Jay, that's a great question Jason. Um the the show itself all takes place aboard the Atheon uh inside the orbit of Mercury. Um but the recover uh, and so that the shows come out every Tuesday. Um and then every Thursday and they run uh, 35 40 minutes for the shows. And then every Thursday, we release one of the recovered audio assets, which can be very short. It can be as little as a minute or as much as maybe six minutes. And, and those are teasing you about what's happening on Earth at the same time uh, as this story that we're telling on the, on the Athon. Right. And so it, it's this. And, and the only place in the story itself where you get to taste anything on Earth is the very opening of the first episode when we have a press conference on Earth that explains that uh, there was a solar flare, that uh, uh, not everything is going well on Earth, um, and they've just um, located the Athon, um, which, which is an interesting story to tell about the lack of communication that's going on between the Athon and Earth, um, and of course the challenges that are created on Earth as a result of everything going on and between NASC and, and SimTech, not everybody is being honest about their plan for this mission, um, why they're there and, and where they're going. Yeah. The, uh, I, the, the, and just to jump back, cause I want to just piggyback on one thing with the recovered audio assets that was very intentionally done that earth primarily exists in these recovered audio assets, because that's, that's a huge part of the story is figuring out how to connect the Athon to Earth. And so having it be separate was an intentional choice so that the listener would be on board the Athon when we have an episode and they'd get a glimpse of Earth uh, separately from it. So it would actually psychologically kind of create that fissure in the audience and the listeners. I, but to the point of uh, uh, what's happening on Earth and what's happening with SimTech and stuff like that, I, we definitely will learn a little bit more about what all is happening on Earth uh, in a few more glimpses of how people respond. I, but I just with the nature of having to get through the information that's provided, I, it is more focused on figuring out if Simtech and NASC have any way of contacting each other in this moment. No, this I'll try is, to leave it vague like that. Okay. Well, this is set in the year 2045. And like you said at the beginning of the show, we've got kind of analogs to NASA and SpaceX in this thing. Mm-hmm. Did you reach out to either of those? Uh, entities for any kind of research or background because you know there are procedures there are certain ways that are you know that certain things are done and you know going all the way back to the Apollo project there's always seemed to be there's this lack of the rescue plan what happens if something goes wrong I mean you look at what happened with Apollo 13 there was no way to send another ship to go get them it was they either they either fix the problem and come home or they're dead. And right. this this sounds very much like a similar type of thing where, you know, the Athon is is out there. We've got no way to get to them. Does right. that does that figure into this story? Well, I don't it also give takes about a spoilers. year just to travel that far. Yeah, that's right. I it the something that was really <clears throat> uh, meaningful to me in the writing process was early on in the first episode. Uh, Jamal lists all, all, you know, a huge number of accidents that have happened in the space programs that we know about. There's clearly top secret things that have happened that we will never know about. But he's listing all of these men and women who gave their lives to try to further science. And that's 
concepts is definitely a huge theme throughout the whole show is like these these it's said in the press conference i don't mean to quote my own stuff but it's like you know these men and women have risked their lives to further human knowledge and like that is it is a risk and knowing that that is a risk is a choice that they have made saying yes i will do this and it's really risky but it is worth it because of x y and z and that's different for everyone right i with i i with who I spoke to, I, I didn't speak to anyone directly about the show from uh, NASA or SpaceX, but I did speak to other tangential government agents and whatnot. And a lot of times I, it was, again, one of those things where I was like, hey, is the private and the public sectors really like at odds? And my contact who does some work with uh, the NSA, he was like, oh, yeah, they're always fighting. <laughs> they always think one's better than the other. And I was like, oh, OK. Or, yeah. And, or I spoke to someone who I uh, from the Applied Physics Laboratory uh, who is very frequently contracted by the Navy. And I was like, hey, how are how are these scientific missions structured with like a chief scientist versus the person who's operating the submarine? Like who gets priorities? Uh, so I definitely use that as information and a source of uh, inspiration for how the crew is meshing together. And then I also I just did a lot of research. I, I watched a lot of uh, space um, walks and missions to hear like the kinds of things that they would be saying. I sped it up a lot because if you listen, those recordings are actually <laughs> very slow and methodical yeah. because, again, they're risking their lives to do this. So they want to be sure everything's right. And I, mine's a little bit more fast paced because you're listening to it. Uh, but it, 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 there's definitely a lot of information in there. Uh, one recording. And there's I, a lot. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. But there's there's a lot of real information in this show as well. Like we were oh, yeah. saying where where Chris has succeeded in bringing in um, actual science in order to support the science fiction. Um, and now, uh, I don't know that 20 years from now, we will have spacesuits that can withstand any moment that close to the sun. Right. Um, uh, but, you know, so that's a, that's a bit of a leap. But just to give you a quick example, um, two of our characters that you'll that you'll hear, I think, in our episode five are uh, discussing a little bit about what could what could Simtech be up to and what is this experiment about? And in order to explain something, um, one of our characters is talking about the double slit experiment. If you remember what that is, actually, I'll just play it for you if you have a second. Okay. So this is this is that moment in solar. You ever learn about the double slit experiment? Thomas Young, 1801. I think so. Is light a particle or a wave? Mm-hmm, right. Along comes this double slit experiment. You take a single source of light, you shine it through two parallel vertical slits. Any sane person would say, you get two slits on the other side, like a shadow. But no. But no. You get a series of slits, brightest in the center, drifting off towards darkness on either side. And why? Because light is a particle moving as a wave. The light coming from each slit was creating concentric expanding ripples moving towards the projection surface. Like two small stones dropped in a pond. Correct. When the ripples met, they changed the other pattern. Some parts where the wave amplitude was the same, we'd get stronger slits of light. But when the amplitudes were at opposites, they'd cancel each other out, so no slit of light. But what happens when you send photons individually through the double slit experiment? The same thing. The same exact thing. Just a little bit of a taste, too. Uh, so here, here you have, that is all science fact. Right. And that's um, a real experiment that people have duplicated. You can find YouTube videos of people still duplicating it to this day. However, the next moment in the story is got some science fiction that is so bolstered by this moment where we've created this this juxtaposition of science fact and science fiction. It makes it a lot of fun and it makes it quite believable. Now, with Allie, uh, the, the computer inter interface, of course, the... She's kind of a nice Hal. Well, and that's where I was going because as I'm I'm listening to this and 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 Allie is broken by whatever event happens out there with the solar flare and whatnot, and and I'm thinking about Hal and his problems in 2001, and, and so Chris is is there a certain set of influences that you're pulling from from other science fiction stories other other fantasy horror i mean where where are you pulling your ideas because so you have to be real careful to avoid tropes and right. you know do do something that's original 
But then you also, you know, there's that point where you can pay tribute to other things. Is any of that oh, in yeah. there? Ab- absolutely. I there's I uh, she she mentions how, but it's in an episode far, <laughs> far down the road. So I won't spoil that for you. But I definitely early on in the even before all the other characters were there, I was like, we're going to have this character. Her name is Allie. She's the ship. And my initial pitch for her was that she's just a program and that she doesn't do anything and she doesn't grow. Uh, she's just the program. So that way we don't fall into the hell trap. And it was an early meeting with Bill and Bill said, well, why can't she change? And I was like, well, I don't have an answer for why not. So suddenly that made me re-examine it. And I, I find that there's there's something special about sci-fi horror and fantasy movies when they take a singular concept and they kind of blow it apart into something that feels completely outrageous but then you pull it back and so for for me i was like well part of the show is about trauma right the ship has literally been blown in half and now the crew is trying to figure out how to survive that moment so i actually did a lot of research into trauma and i discovered this idea of what if ali is also the one traumatized because she's the ship who has been blown in half and she is trying to now better herself and help the crew and figure out how she can do this when she has lots and lots of issues going on which is pretty much the human condition anyway i so that's where ali came from and that's how she ended up having a very different approach uh my second pitch after that conversation was what if how but good and that was <laughs> that was the starting point of what became ali and she actually does change and grow i'm not going to spoil anything too much but we made very conscious choices as to when it would be a repeated audio clip of her answering someone and when it would actually be a different clip right. with the same answer like what's the difference between yes and yes and like what what is <laughs> there there oh, are sure. there are different perspectives and so pay attention to that and you'll see that she is growing i mean jason here's a siri like character that in fact the audience will grow to love uh and and you know who would think that you would care about a robot or i don't know if it's a robot it's really yeah. just kind of a, a board just AI. filled with chips and it's yeah. ai but, Al- although uh, in in this day and age you know with so so much discussion now about how google reads your emails and alexa is listening in and your your tvs have cameras and you know you're, there there's a certain amount of paranoia about the surveillance state you know our our mobile devices are monitoring us i there was a there was a thing the other day um uh i know i i looked up rvs because there's a there's a, a youtuber named tim pool who built built out a mobile studio in a fifth wheel and i thought oh that's rather innovative let's let's just go look so i look at rvs for about five minutes and not 30 seconds later my entire feed on social media are all ads for for you know campers it's really and creepy, RV isn't it? it is mm-hmm. and you project that out and at some point that pendulum's got to swing back where people sit there and go i'm done with android and apple and all of these operating systems just give me a very basic flip phone that's just a phone yeah, you know, so that, that that's what I'd like. But in the in this story, Jason and Solar, um, Ali, it turns out you find out very quickly, is recording every moment in the five hundred and some odd day mission. Yeah, every moment in every spot on this vessel, um, and uh, uh, you know, twenty years from now, I think that uh, people will still be uh, able to access just about everything we do, except there'll be cameras everywhere and. I'm I'm ashamed to admit it, but I I I switched over to a Pixel like six years ago or something like that because <laughs> I was like Google basically owns my life at this point anyway. Like, there what's the point in me not having a phone that syncs with my computer when that's actually the thing that I use the most? Right. I there. <laughs> this is also probably skewing my perspective, but I I was on Facebook one day and my mother was not on Facebook at all, and yet Mother's Day was around the corner and it came up with this mug that was like. I love you from here to there. And it was from California to Maryland where my mother lived. And I was like, Oh, my mom would actually really like that. Mom. <laughs> and so I got it to her for mother's day. 
And the only way that it would have known that that was a mug that I wanted is if it was doing the creepy internet stocking of like saying, yeah, don't oh, worry, you know, Chris, they'll, they'll never market anything to you again. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and right. they absolutely have. And I have absolutely bought it. And so like, at some point I was like, I, I mean, it gave me a mug that my mom really likes. Like it is, it does it have to always be evil. And that's kind of where this, this idea of this future where surveillance is really big yeah. in the solar world. And I'm just going to point out too that the recovered audio assets are a part of that because they're being recovered by someone. Right. So that's why they're called recovered audio assets. So like the idea of people listening in and everything being recorded is a part of this universe. I have frequently made the joke and the older I get and the further we get down into the, into the social media cesspool, I have, I have made the comment that at some point Facebook and Google are going to merge Google buys Facebook and then the Google AI reads everybody's posts on Facebook and that's when Skynet is is born and they launch the missiles and and say uh -huh. you know there's there's we no way that humanity can right, right? because you know you look at things like social media for example and and how technology just keeps going forward and forward and advancing and and this this could be me being the cynical curmudgeon that I am, <clears throat> but the more the the older I get and the more technology advances and the more humanity seems to be regressing emotionally, I'm ha I'm I'm starting to question whether or not it's a good idea for us to even go this route with a, a number of the technological developments that we've got. At, at some point, we're gonna we're gonna outstrip ourselves, and we're not gonna be able to handle it. And that's and that's something in in science fiction in general. There's this broad question because you know back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, I mean, Heinlein's predicting this these technologies that we don't have. Star Trek, there's technology that we don't have, but now we have it all. We have the the video the video conferencing and the, the you know we've got our communicators and our tricorders and you know mobile computers and you know the stuff we hold in our hand has more computer power than what put man on the moon you know those kind of things mm -hmm. so science fiction as a predictive model there's kind of a challenge there because we're inventing things almost as fast as we can come up with the idea for it the, you, you had mentioned the idea of a show Bible early on and how much of it had been mapped out. Yeah. And I will say that we actually do have a document of everything that happens in the solar universe from 2020 to 2045. I, and one of the interesting things in putting that, that document together is seeing where it's like, yes, we're going this direction. Things will happen. I, uh, someone, I think you, you've listened to episode three. So you've heard that there's uh, self-driving cars are mandatory. I'm like, that seems possible within 25 years. Yeah. I, I, it, so I was like, hey, that makes sense. We're going to do that, uh, go in that direction. I, but there are other things in building out the world where it was like other things are going to happen to set humankind back. And uh, it's mentioned in the first episode, but someone references loosely the downturn. And that's actually a big global event in our universe where it's like humankind kind of got set back a little bit and they had to figure out a way to move forward. I so that that was that's kind of the fun of only having it be 25 years in the future because it's like oh i don't need to think about how exactly we're flying to alpha centauri we can just say like hey this is the next couple of steps that yeah. we're going to go but in some you ways know, going you know, going further out into the future is almost easier because you know you you project out you know 10 20 15 years then you know something happens here 2 years from now and you've already dated it. I, I mean, I'm not saying that that's that's what you guys are doing here, but you run that risk. And, and I've mm -hmm. seen discussions in in a number of places where people say, you know, it's it's much easier to play make believe 200 years from now as opposed yeah. to, you know, the next generation 25 years from today. So well, I mean, Jason, in in 20 years, um, what we're doing now with this Zoom is going to seem cute and somewhat archaic and akin to leeches as a <laughs> as a medical experiment because by by then we'll be communicating through uh, uh, holograms and and 3d uh, uh, 
you know, we're, we're all excited about being able to create these digital versions of ourselves that solve all of our, our human problems and whatever we don't like the look of ourselves. And, well, and, I don't I don't know about you guys, but I plan to be in the cabin in the woods by then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've seen the, that movie. I know off how the it grid, ends. Don't off do the that. grid. <laughs> <Stay there. laughs> I, I've I've seen I've seen ten years ago, I've seen <clears throat> hologram communications yeah. where you could you could actually experience what we would look at as a phone call or a, or a zoom video conference. Um, and this is, this is just a joke what we're doing right now compared to where we'll be a couple of decades from now. There is uh, there is a company and I actually, I actually ran across them in on Instagram. Let me see if I can pull them up real quick because it is exactly that kind of thing uh, where, where you're talking about uh, it's called proto and it's uh, it's a it's like you're talking about. It's a holographic, it's a holographic communications tool that you know you have the studio, you have somebody up in one place in a studio, mm-hmm. and then you have a box wherever the destination is, and it looks like they're right there inside that box. Now they can't walk around the entire room yet, but here it is. I mean the the. It, it, it's not it's not far off. You know, when you no. open the show, you show a, a, a moment of yourself from a camera up and and to your left. So we, we can see all your screens and all the technology. And right. Yeah, there you are. And maybe not so up. But, um, <laughs> you know, you, you're going to add a few more of those cameras in every home and you'll be doing a, a, a holographic version of whatever you're doing. And and you'll see everyone else's and you can actually go to a party and never leave your house, which probably would have been handy in the last <laughs> pandemic. But, but now this is, this is a show that takes a variety of leaps from solid scientific ground. And Chris has accomplished a really remarkable, compelling, exciting, thrilling story with amazing acting, stunning music. Um, and it, 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 because of the, the like fully immersive cinematic sonic experience and the quality of the story, you will close your eyes and live a moment of solar that I promise you won't forget. And by the way, in years to come, uh, the world of solar is going to be expanding. Can't say much more than that right now, but there are lots of stories coming your way, both from Earth's perspective and elsewhere uh, in, in the solar universe. All right. Well, with that, we will uh, we will wrap this up. the 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 show is called Solar. You can find it at uh, kurtco.com plus a number of different podcast platforms. There is also solarthepodcast.com. They're available on Twitter. They've got an, a page on Facebook, and you can find them on Instagram as well. So uh, go check those out. The links are in our show notes if anybody wants to uh, find out more. And um, we're halfway through uh, the first 12 episodes of the season, I guess. Are you guys, uh, you're doing 12 episodes per season or it depends on the story that you're telling? Why? More the latter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There's many more conversations to be had. All right. Well, good luck with all of that, and uh, I will. I will continue listening. So far, I'm. I'm. I'm enjoying it, and uh, <clears throat> we will see where it goes. And uh, we'll have you back, and we'll right. talk about thank it further so as we go through. Jason, thank you, and and for all of those of you who are listening already, uh, we're the number one science fiction podcast on Apple and and Amazon and Samsung and and. Uh, uh, Spotify, and so we're very uh, excited about how this thing has launched. And, well, yeah. congratulations! Jason, thanks for having us here. Yeah, thanks very much for being here, thank and you very much. and thank you to all of you who have been here uh, live with us. And if you're here in replay, don't forget you can leave a comment as well. Let us know what you think. Live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com is our email address. If you want to li- leave us a message that way. And speaking of social media, <clears throat> we are on a lot of them. Uh, probably too many. We've also got a newsletter you can sign up for and the PayPal tip jar up there. Uh, so uh, you can uh, send us some support. <clears throat> Certainly not any obligation at all. Don't forget, last night on our uh, 300th episode of the H2O podcast that's out now, 
We were talking about Zack Snyder's 300, so don't forget to check that out. And we will be back to do all of this again probably tomorrow, assuming I don't get called up for actual day job work. But in the meantime, I will leave you with this thought from the great philosopher Eric Idle. Always look on the bright side of life. And remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 